Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Collecting Comics, a show where we talk about comics and how to collect them. My name is Sean and today we're going to be talking about horror and sci-fi books. Um, first though, we want to thank our friends at Watto Scrap for sponsoring this episode of Collecting Comics. So the first book we're going to talk about today is a book called, called Cold Spot. And it's a book that was written by uh, Colin Bunn, who is also the writer of Harrow County and Regression. And then uh, the art was done by Michael Torres. And uh, he wrote or he did the art for books like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Judge Dredd. And this book is a spine tingling. Um, it's a spine tingling thriller uh, that that kind of like uh, reminds me of um, Lock and Key. It reminds me of Lock and Key a lot, where you have a lot of like supernatural things going on, and it opens up with this lonely house uh, out in the country and this old man uh, becomes very, very cold and he goes up to check the thermostat and he kind of yells out to his wife asking him or asking her if she had changed the temperature of the thermostat and she's kind of distracted and she turns to her husband and says, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't listening. What was that? Uh, he's, he goes, did you change the thermostat? And she's like, oh, no, I was I was out there uh, looking out the window uh, watching the kids play. And the man was very confused. And what he ended up, he ended up telling her, you can't watch the kids. And then he just stunned in terror and looks out the window with her. And he notices the kids playing on the playground as ghosts. And I just wanted to mention too, before we continue, you might notice that some of these, uh, that the uh, pictures are and the words are uh, inverted. So you're, uh, you're not going to be able to read the bubbles or anything the way you're supposed to. Uh, we're just trying out something new, but Anyway, the book starts off with the main character, uh, Dan Kerr, driving up to this uh, really big mansion, and he's met by um, by the butler. And the butler's kind of being a little rude to him, telling him he's late. And uh, Dan snaps back and says, well, by my watch, I'm right on time, seeing as your uh, boss didn't want me to come back, uh, ever come back here. And uh, the butler goes ahead and lets him in and walks him to his boss's office. And the first thing that he does is throw a, a, an envelope of money and some clues on the table that, uh, that the man, Mr. Warren, he wants Dan to look for this lost child, or his, really is his granddaughter and, and her mother, and um, Dan's just kind of confused because he was there once before. And and he says, last time I was here, 
you never wanted to see me again, and now you're you're giving me a job. And when he looks into the envelope and sees the money, he also pulls out the pictures, and he notices the young girl and and the mom, and basically tells him, you know, uh, she's a grown woman. Why are you having me look for her? And he asks to go to the girl's uh, asks to go to the girl's room. And he notices that the butler is a little bit on edge and he starts to uh, question him and say, and tells him, you know what happened to her. And uh, the butler was like uh, telling him that uh, the girl needed to make friends and the, and the mom needed help. And these people came to help her. So he didn't see any harm in, in letting her go but he was more nervous for his job and Dan was able to get a location uh, from him and where to start looking for her. So Dan ends up going to this uh, ferry landing to get to this island called Coral's Island, which is where, which is where uh, supposedly the girl and her mother were. And uh, he goes into the shop to see if he can get a ride over there, and the uh, the guy there was kind of being a uh, being rude to him again, and he's like, "Sorry, um, there's no ferries going in or out right now. I should really change that sign on the outside," and basically starts questioning about the abnormal cold that's going on um, in the town. And, uh, basically he doesn't really have anything to say. And he goes, let me guess, you got a room for me. So, ba- uh, uh, Dan goes over and goes to check into his, his, his room. And he's still just stunned by this extreme cold goes back to the man, but not before this, uh, this man starts seeing this ghostly figure and says, you're back. I knew you'd be back. And by the time that Dan gets to uh, the man, he's frozen solid and and dead on the floor. And it basically scares the crap out of Dan, and he doesn't know what to do. But they end up calling uh, the cops and stuff, and they're really playing it off. They're they're just trying to cover some stuff up, and um, the 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 lead sheriff asks him what what his business was and Dan tells him he's trying to get to Coral's Island and um, the man finds that a little bit odd because not very many people want to actually go out there and he goes and he starts making accusations that Dan had something to do with the murder and uh, Dan basically tells him you know I had nothing to do with this. I was just trying to get a ferry. And then he gave me a room key and I came back to ask him something. And I found him frozen solid on the, on the, uh, on the floor. And the sheriff comes back. He goes, so you're trying to get to Coral Island and a Coral's Island. And, uh, Dan tells him yes. And he goes, we might be able to set you up with a boat, but it's not going to be able to leave until the morning. So, Dan kind of goes off and just sleeps in his car overnight. And in the morning, one of the sheriff's uh, uh, helpers takes takes Dan 
uh, into the boat and heads off to Coral's Island. And he he again asks this man, what's going on with this cold? Uh, the weather said that that it should be sunny and only a few mile, hundred miles away, it's supposed to feel like summer. But here, it's freezing cold like it's supposed to be winter. And the man just says, I don't really know what's going on with that. You know, I don't have any answer for you. And and uh, the man takes takes Dan to the island and lets him go off. He go and he tells him just to be careful on this island because a lot of things that come here don't really come back. And uh, if he believes in ghosts and he thinks that this island has a lot to do with what's been happening around the city. So Dan continues to walk into the in, onto the island and starts heading through the pathways that are there. Uh, when he notices some things on the floor and finds a bunch of dead animal carcasses and random um, things on the floor that this man who's on the island was calling offerings. And he uh, also tells Dan that he's trespassing. And uh, Dan goes, goes to explain that uh he's looking for a woman and a and a young girl and if he knew where this where these uh people were and he goes yeah there's a woman and a girl here but uh the corals won't be seeing any visitors today uh, or really ever they've uh, stopped taking them and he goes you better have a really good excuse for for them to come see you and he goes well i have a really good excuse I'm the girl's uh, the girl's father, and the man, shocked and confused, um, thinks about it for a second. He goes, "So you're the you're the girl's father," and he tells him, "Okay, well let's go." So the man takes uh, the man takes Dan to this big giant mansion, where um, he goes, "You need to really think about what you're about to do and what you're about to say because." Again, the corals really don't want any uh, any visitors, and basically just tell him that he could hold his own when he goes in there. So the man goes, or Dan goes in there, uh, searching for the mom and the daughter. And when he walks in, he immediately sees uh, sees them, and he calls them out. He uh, he yells at the woman Alyssa. He goes, "What are you doing here?" And where is uh, where's Grace, the, the the girl? And he's immediately met by Miss Quarles, uh, and she tells him that uh, you know you know about the girl. That's okay, and but you really shouldn't be here. And he goes, "Well, I'm the girl's I'm the girl's father, and I demand to see her." And um, she finds it very interesting herself and Dan starts going closer and closer to Alyssa, the mother and talks to her and, uh, the, um, the, the guardsman or the, 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 the man who walked him into the house and starts approaching him and, and miss Quarles stops him and lets him talk to Alyssa. And Alyssa was telling him, Dan, you won't understand 
And there's a lot more to it that uh, that we'll find out later in the book. But she was telling them that you don't quite understand what's going on here and that they're getting help. And the corals have helped us do, uh, do better and uh, to get away from her father, which was Mr. Warren, the man who hired him. And uh, Dan just again demands to see the demands to see the girl and and states she's uh, she I, she's my daughter too I want to see her and and Alyssa's telling him well that's not fair because you were never a part of Grace's life anyway so you can't just come barge in you can't just come barge in and uh, demand to see uh, to see her after never being in her life. And uh, Miss Quarles actually steps in and says, you know what, it's okay because he's he's the father, he should be able to see the girl. So Alyssa escorts him to Grace's room. And when they, as they're walking there, he notices the weird cold happening again as he's getting closer to this door. And Alyssa goes on and opens the door for him and he sees Grace just kind of staring at the wall or at a window. And um, Alyssa gets smart with him. And he, she goes, here you go. Here she is. Uh, go say hello. And Dan introduces himself as just a friend. And uh, asking how she is and if she's okay. And, and Grace never really uh, responds. But what ends up happening are these cold, ghostly figures uh, appear behind uh, Dan. And Dan freaks out. And he quickly grabs Grace, runs through the room, and out into the hallway and closes the door. And he's just in awe of what he saw and uh, asks Alyssa, what are those things? What is, what's happening here? And... Uh, Alyssa tells her that uh, tells him that Grace is a very sick girl and that the corals are helping Grace get better and that's they've promised to help us and that's what they're doing and they're, they're helping us get back on our feet and Dan was like that's not enough he goes I'm taking her and you're never gonna see her again and uh, starts taking her down the stairs and as soon as he gets to the bottom of the stairs, he's met by Miss Quarles again. And Miss Quarles is telling him, uh, well, you won't be leaving with the girl. She will be staying here so that we can continue to help her and make her better. And uh, Dan and Miss Quarles kind of exchange some, exchange some words. And uh, Dan kind of gives up. He says, fine. And he, he starts walking out. And the men grab him and start escorting him out of the um, out of the house. And as they're walking down the the wooded pathways, the same way that he came in, one of the guardsmen take a shovel and swing it at him, trying to kill him. And luckily, he was able to dodge. And um, he was like, "What the hell are you doing?" You know, uh, and he goes, you won't be leaving this island now that you know what you know. And um, from there, these other ghostly figures come and attack the uh, the guardsmen. 
and um, freeze them solid. And it's at that point where where Dan starts making connections and he starts believing what Alyssa uh, what Alyssa had to say about um, about Grace and how she um, she has something to do with these spirits that uh, they're called her friends and Dan takes that as as Alyssa trying to uh, tell Dan that he, she that he needs to come back to her and he, and he needs to uh, uh, help help them and he starts realizing what he has to do and he he uh, storms back into the house where he's met by um, uh, where he's he ends up walking into the house uh, to find nobody there but that's because Miss Corals has taken Alyssa or I'm sorry has taken Grace to this other part of the um, of the house and she tells Alyssa that it's time and it's time that you make good on your promises that you gave us and takes Grace into this almost dungeon like area and the whole time Grace is um or Alyssa is telling her it's too soon it's too soon we you can't make her do this well they get to the end of of this dungeon like area and this odd looking man that we'll find to be known as uh, Samuel uh and Miss Corals tells him it's time and we need to start moving forward with our plan and he goes oh it's time to get made whole again and again Alyssa's like it's too soon and she's not ready and you're going to put her through this and you're and she's not going to be okay and Miss Corals basically tells her to uh that she needs to leave and she's kind of forced out of the room and that's where it's revealed that there's this dead corpse down there and that he this corpse is part of the plan and um and uh, Miss Quarles is telling Grace it's time and you need to use your powers to um, to bring this person, this thing, back to life. And Grace or uh, Alyssa is pushed out of the out of this dungeon area and back into the house. And that's where Dan finds her on the floor. And uh Alyssa starts explaining more to Dan that that you know we thought the corals were going to help us but they want to use use Grace's special abilities to do this horrible thing and um that he goes this is enough I'm going to take you back to your father Mr uh, Mr Warren and and she tells Dan that he he wants to do the same thing that he wants to capitalize on her uh, on her abilities as well. And Dan's starting to learn a little bit more and more that he he hasn't been told the entire truth. 
So he basically says, so this is all Grace is doing. She's the one who's summoning these things. And, uh, and Grace or Alyssa says that these, they're, they're more like her friends and, and Dan decides he figures out what he needs to do. And he barges down into this dungeon area and that's where they witness that that dead corpse is now alive by uh, by the hands of Grace and her powers. And in this in this book, we're not really told a whole lot about what this thing is, but Dan goes to attack it, and and this monster just basically stops him dead in his tracks. And Dan tells uh tells Alyssa to grab Grace and run. Just grab Grace and run. And um, Grace sees what's going on, and he sees she sees that Dan is trying to help her, and uh, she tells the corpse no. And Alyssa's surprised because this is the first time that she's talked in ages and uh Miss Quarles and Samuel are are uh surprised uh because she shouldn't be t- uh, telling the corpse that he he can't do certain things and that she's not the boss and that they are and that she's going to do what they say so because of what Dan and Alyssa have finally seen uh, Samuel and, and Miss uh, Corals put them into this dun- into this like cellar like dungeon area, and and uh, they're just kind of s- uh, stuck. And uh, Dan curses at 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 Miss Warren, and they tell him to watch his language because a cer- a ceremony is about to begin, uh, a sacred ceremony is about to begin, and that's where this even more cold comes over the rest of the town where uh, more of these shadow figures are are starting to appear around the city and uh, start terrorizing people. And the um, the corpse the the monster that was reborn starts to um summon an awakening more i guess like ghosts ghost figures and he calls them his disciples and his children and again grace tells him no and she says these are not your children they're mine and basically just busts out with a whole bunch of power to um, kind of take down the monster for a minute. Well, that gives, because of this huge blast of energy, it gives Dan and Alyssa a chance to escape from where they were. And um, Samuel and Miss Warren, or Miss uh, Quarles, are in shock. And they're not sure what's really going on in this crazy power kind of uh, goes on and grabs Miss Quarles and 
Samuel gets really upset and tells tells Grace, you need to let her go. How are you? You shouldn't be doing this. You need to listen to us. And uh, Grace just really isn't listening. And through her powers, uh, kind of um, commands the the monster to grab Samuel and and basically do away with him. And it's at this point where Dan grabs Alyssa, or I'm sorry, grabs Grace, and uh, they start heading towards the door to escape. But that monster is also also um, is also on their tail. So they get through some uh, some of these other ghost-like figures and make it out of the door, but not before Dan realizes that uh, Alyssa has become frozen. And that's when the monster breaks through the door and basically shatters Alyssa into pieces and um, Grace is turn, uh, turns around and tells the demon that that he needs to go away. And the demon tells her, you can't banish me. You can't put me away forever. I'll come back and I'll look for you. And uh, basically pushes uh, the, the, the monster back into the house and locks him away. Well, Dan is finally able to get off the island with Grace. And uh, Mr. Warren uh, is starting to fight with him because Dan has told him, you will not take Grace. You will not um take uh, have legal rights over her and he goes on the contrary I have all the legal options I need to uh take custody of the girl and he goes yeah I'd like to see you try that and it just kind of hints to that grace uh will get what she wants and it's not it's not about what other people want it, it's about people who actually want to take care of her and the book, the book kind of goes on just a little bit longer. And Dan is at a store, and they they purchase some stuff, and another one of these ghostly figures pop up. But it ends with a picture of Samuel as this another ghostly being, and basically just saying we've been made whole, and we will uh, we will return and. That's how that particular book ends. It's only five, it's only five uh, issues, and I wish it was a lot, a lot uh, longer because it was re- a really enjoyable read. Um, it's been a while since this book has been out. I think it, I think it released last year, two thousand nineteen, maybe two thousand eighteen, but I think it was two thousand nineteen, and uh, it looks as if. They want to continue the story, but as of now, nothing else has been released um, for uh, Cold Spot. And uh, again, it, it gave me a lot of feelings of like lock and key with the uh, the supernatural and the the ghost beings and the uh, the powers, the supernatural powers, and um, it would be interesting to see this adapted into. Uh, a TV series. But 
before we go on to our next uh, our next story, we would uh, we want to thank our friends over at Watto Scrapyard for sponsoring this week's episode of Collecting Comics. You can find them on Instagram at Watto Scrapyard and on Facebook and eBay as well. They make 3D printed parts for hard to come by Kenner and Hasbro vehicles, as well as resin printed head sculpts of dozen dozens of different characters in the Star Wars universe. If you don't see a character that you like on their Instagram, send them a message and they can get it printed and designed for you for a reasonable fee. The next story uh, we're going to talk about is a book called Bone Parish. And this is another book by Colin Bunn. And this particular one I could really see becoming a TV series. It um, it had some it has a lot of supernatural and uh, psychological things going on as well that I could see characters doing a really good job at playing. Um, this one I is definitely for more adult readers though. There is a lot of uh, sex and drugs and weapons and things like that. And basically, it's a story of a family who run this, this big drug uh, business. And it starts out with this man, and he's singing, and he's singing out in the middle of the street. But he thinks that he's standing out in front of a crowd of thousands and that he's a rock star, but you kind of see the powder on his nose and it's not just any type of powder. It's actually this uh, new drug that's called ash. And this whole time um, this crowd starts gathering around this man in the street, kind of laughing at him. They start taking videos and uh, he's just, he continues to sing and sing and sing and in the next panel, this man is kind of watching off to the side, just kind of smiling. And he goes, I told him that he should have uh, should have gotten home before he did this. And he's approached by a group of, of people who who asks if his name is uh, Dante. And he's like, well, who's asking? He goes, they, they were they were telling him, we hear that you're the guy who. uh who has the the stuff called ash he goes uh they and the uh, the girl who's talking to him says we hear it gives you a really good high and he goes it's not just a high you feel it you smell it you live it and and you are what you see in these uh hallucinations and he tells them that it's going to cost them really uh, a really good penny to be able to get it. But he ends up selling uh, selling the ash to those people and calls a guy named Bray. And Bray is one of the main characters in this book who's more on the business end of, of, the, of this drug operation. And Dante's telling him, Hey man, we need to think about upping our prices with this stuff because this I'm I'm out already. It's it's early and I'm I'm completely out. And and 
Dante asks, well, when's the next time I can uh, get a supply? And, and Bray basically just tells him, he goes, we're getting supplies now. Uh, you'll have it by morning. And Bray turns around to his crew and he asks, are you guys done yet? And basically it reveals that they're in a graveyard and that they're uh, robbing, they're robbing um, graves for material for this, um, this new drug. And it goes into uh, the next panel where this lady's looking out the window. What's funny about this is that her name is also Grace. Uh, so I don't know what Colin Bunn's doing there, but uh, this woman's name is, is Grace. And she's worried because those men who were out in the graveyard were actually her sons. And um, they were making a run to get their supplies. And she turns around to talk to this man. And he basically tells her, listen, it's okay. It's a simple job. They're going to go get the supplies and they'll be right back. There's nothing to worry about. And she goes, okay. And she kind of um relaxes a little bit and and then sooner than later they do show back up at the house where uh, a woman comes out of the house named Bridget and she goes to the trucks and she starts inspecting um the the product and that's when Bray was like hey you know what can I talk to you and she goes if it's about up in prices again that's not my department you need to talk to someone else about that. I only make the ash. I don't I don't deal with the business end of it. And Bray's kind of getting a little bit uh, uh frustrated with with that as well. And um Bridget gets back into her her lab where there's a whole bunch of other dead corpses that um that that she's working on to help make this ash. And as she's walking in there, the the lady, um, Grace, walks in there as well from another entrance and starts talking to her. And it's revealed that Grace is also her mother. And um, the man that she was with in the bedroom is also with, uh, with her. And she goes, you're not here to talk business. And she goes, no, I need some more. And that's when uh, Bridget goes and gives her uh Bridget goes and gives her another bag of ash and she tells her listen mom you need to be careful with this because once it's gone it's gone for good and all your all your um hopes of of seeing and doing whatever you're doing are going to be gone and she goes I know I'll, I'll take it seriously and I'll and I'll slow down on it And it's at that time where um, where she goes to this business meeting and she meets this man and he basically starts telling her that uh, his bosses are interested in the ash. And she goes, that's great. How much do you want? And the man goes, I think you misunderstand me. We don't just want the ash. We want the entire company. 
And uh, that's when Grace becomes a little bit more focused and she starts listening to what um, what the man is having to say. The man named uh, Simon has to say. And he's basically saying that his bosses are very strong men and he would hate for something to happen to her or her family. And she's, she asks, well, that sounds like a threat to me. He goes, no, it's not a threat. It's just reality. He goes, we're willing to compensate you very, very nicely. Uh, other groups who might come to you may not be as, as willing to uh, make a business decision and that they might just take it. And moving forward during this time uh, in, in another location, Dante decides to uh, try some of this ash and he goes and heads and, and, and takes it. And that's when he starts having his hallucinations and basically what the ash is, is it allows you to live and feel the, uh, the, the life of the person that the ash was made out of. And in this particular uh, uh, ash sample that he has, it was a bunch of porn stars and he starts he starts hallucinating of these women kissing on him. And then they immediately turn into these zombies that start eating him alive. And that's basically how the first, uh, issue ends. Um, not, well, not before, um, uh, grace is talking to the, to the man again. And he was, she was telling him that, um, they want it all. They want all of it. And, and I don't want to get rid of this, this business. It's a family business and it should stay that way. And the man starts talking, but not before he starts fading away. And she rushes over to her, um, her supply of ash and, and takes it. And he, uh, he goes, you know, when that ash is gone, so am I. And it's forever. And she goes, I know. I just don't want to be alone. And the next issue opens up with, uh, with the investigation of Dante's death. And um, these cops who are basically in on, on a couple of these drug rings say it was bound to happen and it looks like it was just a bad dose and he got he had the the wrong end of it and back at the the main house location where the lab is um Bray goes over to uh Grace his mom and tells her you should have let me be at that um you should have let me be at that meeting and, you know I should be there and she basically just has to level with him she goes Listen, after your father died, I became the leader of this household and this business. And um and you need to you need to know your spot in, in this in this business. 
And right now, mine is to lead it and to run it uh, the way it should be ran. And Bray goes to uh, goes to respond and tells her, you know, one of our dealers died the other night from uh, from the ash. And he says to finish, uh, I wonder if that would have happened if dad was still in charge. And it kind of goes into a flashback with uh, Bray and his father where it shows him basically getting ready to commit his first crime. It really doesn't go much into it, but with his father asking him, are you okay? Are you sure you can do this? You don't have to do this. And he goes, no, dad, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can do it. And that was really the only flashback we get. And um, one of the other brothers, I can't remember his, I've been searching for his name, but I can't find it. Uh, goes back to Bridget and kind of tells her, you know, one of the dealers died. I don't know if you heard, but he, and all Bridget has to say is, well, if the um, if the ash is misused, then then I'm not surprised that uh, that someone got hurt and died from it. And the brother just kind of goes at and asks who who this person was. And uh, she basically says supposedly he was some kind of warlock sorcerer guy who was able to do a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, she starts taking pieces and putting it in a jar, labeling it, and puts it into this big uh, cabinet refrigerator where she holds all of her all of her samples. And it's at this time where. Um, Grace goes back to meet, uh, goes back to meet Simon, uh, the guy who was, uh, trying to purchase the company on behalf of his employers and they exchange some, uh, words and basically he asks Grace out date and, uh, at this time too, at another location, the, the cops, run into Bray and like, they're trying to figure out what's going on and why, why all this stuff is happening. And we end up finding out that some of these cops are actually dirty and they're, they're also working for another, another man named Raphael, who's another cartel. And he basically just got off his high of ash and he was in shock and he was like, wow, I felt it. I heard it. I smelled it. Like I was living, I was living whoever this person was. He was saying that um, he was like a god to these people and and leaders, uh, or he was a leader to these people, and he basically got them all to kill themselves. And it was um, this man who told uh, his people to believe in him, and if it's time for us to go and time for us to uh, be better. And they all took some poison. And Raphael's like, I really like this. I like it a lot. And he goes, I want it. So I'm going to take it. And it goes, uh, we are skipping a bunch of panels um, on this one because the heavier uh, sex scenes that are in this particular book so it is a little bit longer and it is a lot more detailed than what I'm just giving here, but I don't want to give away too much of the spoilers because some of those panels explain exactly 
what's uh, what's happening. So again, you should really go check this book out. And uh, it picks up with Grace and Simon at this restaurant, and and uh, Grace starts talking about the ash, and he goes, you know, this wasn't supposed to be about business. Are you always about business? And uh, she goes, this was, uh, this is just supposed to be uh, friends having a dinner. And this is where those cops show back up. And uh, they're waiting for Raphael. And he basically uh, kind of scares one of the guys. And he, he's like, takes advantage of that. He goes, you know what? I'm glad you're afraid of me because what that means now is I have the control and you guys need to get me what I want. And, um, and it goes back to Bridget, and she's looking at a certain vial of the ash, and it ends up being an ex-boyfriend of hers. And this ex-boyfriend is the person who taught her how to make the ash. And she was looking for different ways to make it better, so she taps into his life and and what he was doing at the time through through the ash that was made from his body and she's looking around and she's trying to figure out what's going on and she sees herself in this and and the man goes to uh, give her a knife and there's actually a woman who's tied up in there and he and he was telling her you know we can get the ash from the dead, but he goes, I also think we can get it from the living and I want to try that now. So here's this knife, go and get what we need from this woman. And the woman was freaking out and, uh, uh, Bridget was, she had too much moral conscience to just murder somebody like that. And, uh, he actually, she actually goes to attack her, her ex-boyfriend and, uh, and he ends up dying himself. Uh, and uh, and in one of the other panels, uh, she kind of looks down at her abdomen and and she's kind of bloodied up because she was actually feeling what he felt. And um, and then we go back to another another run that the brothers had to do and. Uh, towards the beginning of the book, Bray was telling him that, you know, you guys need to learn your all spots and everybody has their job. And one of the brothers kind of got smart with it. And he goes, you know what, we're just going to get our own people to haul these, uh, these bodies around so that, um, so that, you know, we can think smarter, not harder. And it's at that time where they're actually attacked. And, uh, by these by these men, they don't know who they are, and one of the brothers is like, "Get out of here, run! I'll take care of this." And he basically goes, "All right, sister, what did you what did you make for me?" And he takes some of the ash, and he finds that he turns into this war soldier, uh, and basically starts kicking ass on these guys and. He's he's making headshots and he's being strategic and now all of a sudden he's uh, a warrior and a fighter and he's uh, scrapping with these soldiers 
and really kind of taking them out. And um, that's where Bray would start trying to get a hold of these guys because at this time he didn't really know what was going on with uh, with the whole operation. He was just kind of checking in, making sure that everything was okay. And it moves on to the brother who was told to run somehow somehow got captured and it we it's never revealed as to how he got captured but um Raphael uh has somehow captured the the guy and he's hanging upside down and Raphael's telling him you know I get what I want and I take it and your family's about to learn that now and the man's all bloodied up and uh, dripping and stuff. And what it doesn't show you is just yet is that he's actually over water and he's dripping blood into the water. And the man again uh, tells him that your family will learn because I get what I want. And that's where this big alligator comes up and attacks the man hanging upside down. And that's, basically the last we see of this guy. And after that attack on him, uh, Raphael's like, you see what I did there? You, you know, I've done so much for the city. You know, the, it used to be trash and now I've, I've made it into a, a really good place for us kind of being sarcastic and, and bragging. And by this time, grace, Grace finds out that her son was murdered and uh, she's just devastated. And um, and that's when her husband, who, who has died, uh, kind of comes back to her and he starts telling her, he goes, you know, when I was running the business, this wouldn't have happened and now our son's dead. And... Um, he's, he's, uh, slowly starting to fade away. And, um, that's when a vehicle comes back to the house and they bring the corpse of their brother back and, um, Bridget comes to process him and, and get him out and, and start preserving what she needs to get from him. And the family is just devastated and they want revenge. And um, that's basically what, what Grace is telling Bridget. And she says, I want you to create something horrible, something that is evil and um, will make people regret that we, that they've ever um, may ever mess with us. And, um, and to prove to herself, she's just as good if, or if not better than, uh, of a leader than her father, uh, her husband was. And, um, basically what happens is the men capture the cops that were working, uh, were like kind of like double agents and working for both sides. And they start telling, uh, the cops start telling him, he goes, you can't do this to me. I'm a cop and I know this and this and that and stuff. And, and they were saying, you don't know the gravity of the situation and that your partner has told us everything and stuff. And 
And uh, that's when when Grace comes in and he, and he starts telling her stuff and basically just slices, uh, slices his throat and um, after he gets the information. And the other cop is like, you know, I'm loyal and I've, I've uh, done a lot for you guys, but they felt too betrayed, so they went ahead and took him as well. And it goes back to Raphael with this party that he's in, and he hears something. Uh, the the guards actually got got um, got beat outside, and and it's there where the doors bust open, and they start shooting up the place. But they're careful not to hit Raphael. But instead, they spray uh, the ash on him, and he inhales it. And he immediately starts hallucinating and starts seeing this horrible apocalypse. And it basically just tears him from the inside. And he goes so insane that he uh, that he dies. And this is this is the family's way of making a point and showing that nobody will ever mess with us again. And this in this particular uh, uh, panel, uh, you can see the uh, the vials of not only Raphael but the other two dirty cops. And this is also where Grace goes back to um, back to Simon and tells her or tells him that you can go and tell your bosses that we will not be accepting any offers, and if they have anything to say about that or threaten us, or try to come for us, well, we'll be ready, and they'll learn very quickly to not to not ever uh, underestimate us or, or mess with us again. And that's where you see the vials of them, of the ash from those, um, from the two cops and Raphael, uh, basically just making, uh, making a point. And, um, before we get into this next book, uh, these two books are are kind of where horror stories are going nowadays. They're more of the supernatural. They're more of uh, like uh, the ghosts and stuff. It's not like horror books like they like they used to be. And that's what this book is right here. This is uh, Monsters Unleashed number four. Uh, this is a magazine. It has about three to most of them have about three to five short stories. And there's a couple of cool things about this book. Um, it's one, it's the first appearance of uh, Satana, which is a book that we've talked about in the past where it was the first appearance or she has her book has the first appearance of Rocky raccoon, also known as rocket raccoon. And, um, there's actually in this book as well called a, there's a story called the hand and it was written by Stan Lee. So even Stan Lee had um, his own uh, horror stories that he would write that would get put into these um, these books and stuff. And the cool thing about them is again, one, you get a lot of uh, short stories out of it. So you get all these, uh, little stories about Frankenstein or vampires or 
monsters or freaks, which is, uh, I can't remember what it's in one of the, it's either in this book or the next book where it's the circus guy and stuff like that. And the cool thing about this story is that this man, this doctor, um, tries to acquire the body of Frankenstein and, um, eventually he does acquire him and him and a partner are kind of analyzing the body and like, this is crazy. Well, his partner reveals that he's dying and that there's really no time left for him. So what he does in this particular book is he takes the brain of that guy and puts it into Frankenstein. And the man was, you know, was telling him I was better or Frank, the new Frankenstein was basically telling him I was better off dead. And now you put me in this, this body and now I can't do anything. And, um, uh, and basically attacks the man and locks him up and eventually, uh, kills him. And, then you get just stories about like wizards and other type of horror style, uh, occult, um, um, stories. And the other cool thing about this is these magazines are, are big. They're like 70 page books that talk about the, the horror industry itself, uh, whether it's monsters or, uh, in this particular storyline, uh, this is the first appearance of uh, of Satana, uh, the the daughter of Satan. And um, while while not crazy popular, or, or some of them will go for quite a bit of money, uh, there's little nuances in them that make their way into modern day comics at the time. Modern day comics, where you do get something like the first appearance of Rocket Raccoon, or you do get a a trial run of a character who eventually got their own um main storyline and things like that and again it, they kind of capitalize on the horror movies and the and um back in the day with monsters and vampires and you know the damsel in distress and the man who comes to save uh who comes to save her and um you just basically see, um, you see those type of things with these, these creatures, these monsters. And, uh, it, it talks about the industry and what's going on. Maybe not so much with toys, but like maybe they get a director of a movie and they have a little bit of a bio, um, a little bit of a, of a bio about them and their work and things like that. And they're a lot of times they're really obscure, um, you could see mermaids and you could see men shooting things and monsters and murderers and things like that. And, um, we want to thank all of our Patreons who, uh, who help support this channel and all of our shows on our net, on our collecting weekly network. We'd like to personally thank Ben Porter, Griffin Campbell, Sean fear, Ian's, uh, Ian CB, Renee Mendez, Eric Marcel, uh, Quinn Aguirre, uh, Leo Hernandez, King Louie, Mark Pearson, Dan Lee, Deanie Martin, Stephen Krent, Jason Nelson, Big Fern, uh, King Zachary, uh, Cesar Marquin, uh, Eddie Mendez, uh, 
Eric Ruiz, Mario Cortez, Stephen Percha, Sean Yotzi, uh, Scott Bradley, Jesse Contreras, and Steve and Maria Stanley. And again, thank you guys so much for supporting us and all of our shows that are on the Collecting Weekly Network. And these are our stickers. Um, these are our stickers for the next month. Um, $5 tier members will get uh, will get the, uh, the OFAC and the small talk. But if you're a $15 member, you will also get uh, the new this week sticker. And right now we still have two tiers, a $5 tier and a $15 tier, uh, both of which have good, uh, really good perks. But the $15 tier has a really good perk where um, you can contact Darkside Customs after a certain period of time and get yourself a painted head, head sculpt. And we'd like to uh, also shout out all of our um, other shows on the Collecting Weekly Network. Uh, auction, which should actually be starting up here really soon, maybe in the next uh, week or so. Small Talk, uh, Collecting Weekly, which is our main podcast with um, Zach and Dean. Uh, the Joy of Hobbying, where Zach kind of uh, takes um, little hobbying tips and practices them and shows us how to do a lot of cool stuff with our figures and things like that. After Dark, um, Collecting Rarities, Only Fools in Comics, and Creeps Are Us. And some news for Collecting Comics. It is no longer going to be a uh, bi-weekly show. We are going to move to once a month. And I'll be honest with you guys, it's mainly because of um, uh, I'm a school teacher and with us working with COVID and getting the kids back and things like that, it's almost a, a logistical nightmare, but we're starting to get through it. So it's, it's, um, we're starting to get comfortable. We're starting to get our stride and things are working out that way. So hopefully we'll, we'll get back to a f uh, more regular schedule, but for now, um, collecting comics will be a monthly show. And I want to uh, say thank you, and we appreciate you guys, and thank you for watching, and uh, we'll see you next time on Collecting Comics.